Genesis chapter 11, starting at verse 1, the Bible says that the whole earth was of one language. Everybody say one language. And of one speech. They came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And then watch this. Their, their goal here is stated. They said, let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And then finally in verse 6, and the Lord said, behold, the people is one, and they all have one language. And this they began to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. I want to key in on these, this word here. Behold, the people is one. They all have one language. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. This morning as we close out this youth retreat weekend or this youth weekend, I, I understand that it could be easy to just preach to young people, but instead I want to take the opportunity to preach to the crowd students, absolutely, but I want to preach to families. And I want to preach to this church family because I believe that this message, while it may be simple and no doubt you have heard something on this topic before, if we can get this right as a church, if we can get this right as a youth group, then it takes the lid off and there is nothing that we cannot do through the help of the Holy Ghost in, in working for the kingdom. God can do incredible things through this church. For the next few moments, I just want to preach to us from the simple subject, unity at all cost. Unity at all costs. Would you just lift your hands one more time? to invite the presence of God into this room. Lord, we are grateful. God, we do not deserve the opportunity to be in your presence like you allow us, but God, we are grateful for your power and for your spirit. I pray that you would help us today because God, at the end of the day, the, the greatest goal that we could have today is that it would not be my voice that would be heard, but that somehow through this vessel, God, your word would go forth, that it would impact, that it would change, that it would challenge us, Lord, as we seek to do your will. And through everything that is accomplished today, Lord, we will not hesitate to turn back towards you and to give you the glory and the honor because you alone are worthy of it. In the name of Jesus, everybody say amen. amen. You may be seated. We do not have to read very far into the book of Acts to see that one of the defining characteristics that marked that early apostolic church was their spirit of unity. In fact, as quickly as Acts chapter 1, we read that Jesus is about to be ascended and he gives the, those apostles, those disciples, some specific instructions. He tells them, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to tarry. I want you to wait because I'm going to pour out my spirit, pour out the Holy Ghost in just a few days hence. And so it is with that in mind that we find that they make their way to Jerusalem and find themselves in an upper room. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, we read that these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. We flip over just one page to the famous Acts chapter 2. We find that the setting has not changed. And in verse 1, we read that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. If you've been around this church for any number of years, you understand what happens next. It is in this atmosphere of unity that the Holy Ghost is poured out on the 120 men and, men and women who were there that day. Following that outpouring, Peter stands up and he begins to preach the Acts 2, 38 message until before that day was done, over 3,000 people had been converted. It's at the end of this chapter we read about the continuation of the church's growth. 
In verse 46, we see that they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. How many believe that could be spoken about Atlanta West as well? The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. We flip to Acts chapter 4 following the release of Peter and John after the miracle in Acts 3. They make their way back to the company. They begin to share what had just happened with the chief priests and elders. In verse 31 of chapter 4, we find that there is a prayer meeting that breaks out and the word goes forth and they're all filled with the Holy Ghost and with boldness. In verse 32, we see specifically about the mindset of this group of people when it tells us that the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And finally, in Acts chapter 5, we read in verse 12 that by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And watch the result in verse 14. We find that believers were the more added to the church. Believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both of men and of women. In each of these accounts, we find that unity was a central theme that was present in that early apostolic church. It is readily apparent that they were both unified with the purpose and the plan of God and unified also with each other. We find that together this church prayed and together this church fasted. We find that together this church gave and together this church served. We find that together this church joined together in worship and together they reached for lost souls and ultimately we find that together this church grew. And as a result of their togetherness, as a result of their spirit of unity, we find that God showed up and God showed out. Now on this morning, I understand that as we sit in the seats of Atlanta West Pentecostal Church, that we are not some second-rate knockoff version of that early apostolic church, but rather we are simply a continuation of the church that we read about in the book of Acts. And so that is why it is my opinion that if the pattern of the book of Acts is to hold true today, then as a church, we must fight for unity at all costs, because where there is unity, there is going to be revival because where there is unity there is going to be a harvest because in the presence of unity broken lives are going to be restored it's in a spirit of unity that lost saints are going to make their way home it's in a spirit of unity that miracles don't have to be uncommon that the supernatural doesn't have to be something that just happens every once in a while it's in the presence of unity that the Holy Ghost is going to be poured out on whosoever is who where there is unity God is going to show up and God is going to show out and so we must fight for unity at all costs as great as these stories in the book of Acts are my personal opinion is they do not represent the greatest demonstration of the power of unity that we can find in scripture Instead, my opinion would be that the greatest demonstration of unity we can find is not found in the book of Acts, but it's rather found in the verses that we read at the beginning of this message in Genesis chapter 11. At this time, we find that the, the ark has settled long, long ago on Mount Ararat, and man, after the flood, have begun to populate the earth yet again, and a group of people get together. They begin to devise a plan. 
And it sets this chapter off by telling us the mentality of these people. In Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, when it tells us that the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. In verse 4, we begin to read about what their intention, their desire was when it says that they said, Go to, let us make a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. We have to understand that for this group of people who had just experienced a cataclysmic event, that in their mind they were thinking, should that ever happen again? We want to be certain that people will know that we were here. And so our goal is to make us a name. It's to build a structure in a city that will forever solidify our position here on the earth. And amazingly, in verse 5, we find that the Lord himself comes down to see the work that these men were doing to build this city and this tower. And in verse 6, we read that the Lord says himself, Behold, the people is one, and they all have one language. And this they begin to do. And amazingly, now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. We know the next part of this story is that the Lord comes down and he babbles their language. Thus, that name, the Tower of Babel, he separates their language and he causes disunity among the people. But the amazing thing to me this morning is that in this reading here, we have a group of ungodly men and women who had a stated ungodly motive that was rooted in pride and self-glorification. Yet God himself decides that he has to do something to disrupt their unity. Because if he didn't, he himself had to step back and say, they're going to be successful in whatever they set out to do. So with that in mind, I have to ask the question, that what could God do in the midst of an apostolic church who were joined together in one mind and in one accord, who would link themselves with the purpose and plan of the kingdom of God for Atlanta who would bind themselves together to say God let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven but then would link arms one with another and say we're not in this fight as individuals but rather we are a body we are an army and we are going to move forward together to accomplish God's purpose in the earth if he had to step back from a group of ungodly men and women and say if I don't disunify them They're going to be successful. What would he do if we could ever get in one mind and in one accord? We must fight for unity at all costs, at all costs. I think it's worth noting in this passage of Scripture that God does not say, Behold, the people are one, and they are all from the same city. He does not say, Behold, the people are one, and they are all from the same bloodline. He doesn't say the people are one and they all share the same background or even the people are one and they are all the same race and ethnicity, but rather he says, behold, the people are one and they all have the same language. He immediately ties their unity to their speech, to the way that they were speaking. Why? Because something significant happens in the spirit when a group of people get together and they begin to speak the same things. We see this echoed again in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, when Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. What could God do if as a church we made up our minds we were going to speak the same thing? Anybody know it matters what you speak? It 
It matters what you speak on a daily basis. It matters what you allow to come out of your mouth and into the atmosphere of your life or the atmosphere of your home. It matters what you speak. Over the last few years, I've begun a quest to try and study leadership. And in reading several stories of these major organizational leaders who were talking about changing culture, there was a common thread that began, I, I began to track through some of, of these stories that I was reading that in somewhere in that conversation, they were going to say something to the effect that if you ever want to be successful at changing culture, you must first change the conversation. What I realized, and anybody who has ever been at the top of an organization trying to cast vision, when you first set that vision and say, this is where we're going, undoubtedly there's going to be some early adopters. There's going to be people who jump on board and say, we can do it. We're behind you. Absolutely. We're, we're going forward. But sure enough, as there's going to be early adopters, there's going to be some negative Nancys that are sitting in the corner that in their mind, they're already thinking about a million ways that this is going to fail. And so the job of the leader is if I'm going to change culture, I've got to figure out how to get those people on my side. And what all of these organizational leaders understood is that if I could get them speaking the same thing, then even those people who in the beginning were not on board with the vision, who didn't believe that we could actually do it, the more that they speak it, eventually we could watch as their belief system would begin to catch up with their words. It matters what you speak. We find this even in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, we find that the children of Israel are given what would later be called the Shema. It is the foundational tenet of the Jewish faith. Deuteronomy 6.4, if you've been around this church, you can probably quote it. It simply says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Going on to verse 5, it says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Well, we continue reading in verses 4 through 9 are then the instructions of what people were supposed to do with that word. So it wasn't enough that he had just given them the word, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy, with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. That wasn't enough. But he begins to speak to parents. He begins to instruct parents that what I want you to do is I want you to take that word, that Shema, that tenet of our faith. Whenever you go back home, I want you to make a commitment that every morning when you wake up and your kids are sitting around the breakfast table, I want you to begin to quote those verses. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. He takes it further. He says, I want you to go to the doorposts of your home. And I want you to inscribe on the doorposts, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. He says, whenever your kids come home from school and they're sitting around the table at night again, I want you to make them quote it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. I want you to write it on the, the posts of the gates that are on your property so that every time you leave, you're reading, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. I want you to inscribe it on a little tiny piece of paper and I want you to wear it on your wrist or on your forehead so that everywhere you're going, you're remembering, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind what was he trying to do he was trying to get parents who would begin to pass down generational truths who would say it's not good enough that i believe this it's not good enough that i own this but if i'm ever going to transfer my belief system to my children then i've got to make sure that i'm intentional about speaking it 
into the atmosphere of my, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I've got to make sure that I am intentionally speaking within my home what I expect my kids to believe because what he understood is there very well may be a day when that kid was a teenager that he'd be walking to school and there'd be another belief system that would begin to try and wrestle him away from our doctrine. But instead, they wanted to be so ingrained in his psyche that when he was faith with the decision to walk away, he would not be able to get away easily because mama and daddy made him quote it over and over that hero Israel, the Lord our God is one and thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Come on now. Come on, can I minister to some families right now? Please, as a, as a former youth pastor, I, I beg of you parents, you must be intentional about what you are allowing to be spoken in your home. I shared it with somebody earlier. I was an 11-year Bible quizzer, and I thank God for the commitment that my parents made because daily in our home there was scripture that was being quoted. Whenever I walked the halls of my high school, there were days I was questioned to walk away. There were days I'd engage in a conversation with somebody who believed that there were three gods, and they made a very convincing case but something had been instilled inside of me that I know that there's only one I know that there's only one to our parents please make sure that the only time they hear doctrine is not when they come to church on Sunday or Wednesday but please make an intentional effort that every day on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday we are going to talk about God it matters what you speak so I wonder what would happen is as a church body, we came together and we made a few commitments. What would happen if we just decided that despite everything that's going on in our world, anybody find it's really easy to get negative right now? Really easy to get critical? If you want a reason to be upset and angry, I can give you 20 right now that you could just pick from. It's easy with everything that went on in 2020 and everything that's going on in 2021. It's easy for us to focus on fear and focus on doubt and focus on the negativity. But I wonder what would happen if we just committed that whenever we get together, instead of rehearsing everything that's wrong with our lives and everything that's wrong with the world, that instead we would make up our minds that if we're going to speak about anything, it's not going to be about fear. And if we're going to speak about anything, it's going to be that God is faithful and that God is still on the throne and that God is still sovereign. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world around us. It may fall completely apart, but I know who I'm putting my trust in. What if we took the mentality of the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings chapter 4? Most are probably familiar with the story that she was barren and she wasn't able to bear a child. And, and Elisha comes to her and says that the Lord's going to open up your womb. You're going to bear a son. Sure enough, nine months later, this promised child is on the scene. We fast forward in the story. We find that the kid is now a teenager. He's out working in the field with his dad. When he falls down dead, this mom, not being satisfied that the promise had died, goes and grabs the lifeless body of her son and she walks it back to the house and there was a, a little room that she had built for the prophet. She lays that body of that, that kid in, in that bedroom that was there for the prophet and she tells her husband, I'm going to see the man of God. She takes off walking towards where Elisha was. The Bible says she's intercepted by his, prof, or by his, his servant named Gehazi. And Gehazi asked this woman three questions. He says, ma'am, is it well with thee is it well with thy husband, and is it well with the boy? Those of you who know the story know that in some of the most amazing passages of Scripture, we find that something rises up in this woman, and her response to those three questions were three simple words when she simply said, it is well. It is well. 
What faith? Because was it well in her life right then? No. The promise was lying dead back in the home. But something inside of her said, I may not see how this is going to end up, but if I'm going to speak anything in the atmosphere of my family, it's not going to be death and it's not going to be fear, but I'm going to speak that even if I can't see it right now, I'm going to declare over my situation that it is well. I'm going to declare over my family that it is well. I'm going to declare over my marriage that it is well. I'm going to declare over my health that it is well. I may not know how it's going to work out, but I know the one who holds it in the palm of his hand. And so as long as I'm standing and as long as I'm breathing, I refuse to give place to the enemy and to fear and doubt and depression. And instead, I'm going to walk in faith and say that it is well. It is well. It is. I wish right now there would be somebody in this house that would get a little faith in your spirit that you would begin to declare over your situation. You may not know how it's going to work out, but you would begin to declare that it is well. Come on, somebody, you in the middle of the fight right now that something would rise up inside of you and you'd begin to say I may not know how this is going to end but I'm declaring that it is well it is well come on somebody say it is well come on it is well it is well it may not look well right now but I'm going to speak and maybe just maybe I may not even believe that it's going to be well because I'm like that man who said God I need you to help my unbelief But I'm making up my mind that I'm not speaking unbelief. Because if I'm going to speak something, I'm going to declare that it is well. And maybe my faith will catch up with my words. And I'm going to see a miracle happen in my life. Come on, somebody say it is well. It is well. It matters what we speak. What would happen if as a church we made up our mind that instead of rehearsing the issues of the church, that we would just instead highlight all that is great about our church. I've had the opportunity to be in a few churches over the last few years. And I jokingly share that every church has one thing in common. Every church has issues. All of them got problems. Because as long as it's humanity that's making up the the church, and as long as it's people like me and you that are sitting on the pews of the church, the church will never be void of problems and issues and humanity. But here's what I've also learned and be reaffirmed of, is that the church on its worst day is still so much better than the world on its best day. That the church with all of her flaws and with all of the mess and with the humanity that creeps up every once in a while, if I'm going to have my family in something, I would much rather than be within the body. I'd much rather than be within the church. Yes, there's going to be times when we can be discouraged. Yes, there's going to be times when we get frustrated. But I am committed to the church. I don't know how you get through a year like 2020 without the body. How you get through death and pain and, and frustration without the body. Is anybody grateful for the body? Anybody ever been in a situation where you didn't have strength to keep going, but when you got around like-minded believers and when you got with the body that something just happened? Mm, I'm grateful for the body. We talk back to parents. It matters what you say to your kids. Sure, there's issues. It's going to be wherever you go. There's going to be problems. But please don't you dare talk negatively about the church in front of your children. Please don't talk negatively about the ministry in front of your children. As a youth pastor who has seen a number of kids who have walked away, what I also know is it's because they heard mama and daddy bashing the church whenever they were at home and they were not old enough to process that even if the church has its flaws, that God is still good. 
So as a family, what if we made up our mind that instead of rehearsing those issues, when it comes to talking about the church, it's the greatest thing on earth? Because it is. When it comes to talking about our pastor and our leadership, they're the greatest on earth. Why? Because they are. And if there's going to be a place where I want my family to be, it's going to be in the church. What if we made up our minds, and I I thank God for the elders that have come before us. We stand on the shoulders of giants. But as a young preacher, I am not convinced that the best days of the apostolic church are behind us. But I have enough faith and enough foresight to say that the greatest days of Atlanta West Pentecostal Church are not in the rearview mirror. But despite everything that's going on right now, that the best days are ahead. So absolutely, let's celebrate the past wins. Absolutely, let's go back to the altars of old. Absolutely, let's thank God for our elders but by no means think that that's the greatest days of the church because they're right in front of us. So if we're going to talk about something, let's talk about revival. If we're going to talk about something, let's talk about growth. If we're going to talk about something, let's talk about when our lost family members are sitting in the pews right next to us. Come on, young people, when we get together, instead of just talking sports and talking about the latest trends and talking about what's happening on social media, why don't we start talking about what God's going to do in our schools? Why don't we start talking about what God is doing in our youth group? What would happen if we changed our conversation? We fight for unity at all costs because where there is unity, there is going to be revival. On 10 different occasions in the book of Acts, There's this two-word phrase that is used. It's a phrase we read multiple times already today. It's the simple phrase, one accord. Most famously in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, Scripture tells us that those men and women, they were all in one place with one accord. I found that it's easy, not necessarily in COVID, but the easy part is getting people in one place. It's not too hard to draw a crowd if you know what you're doing. But where we sometimes get tripped up is this one accord business. That we can all be in the same place, but we can all be thinking different things. We can all be in the same place, but we can all be speaking different things. And the power comes when, yes, we're in one place, but also when we're in one accord. This phrase, one accord, that is used to describe the early church is actually a combination of two Greek words. The first word means to rush along. And the second word means in unison. To rush along in unison. One commentator put it this way. He said, the image is almost musical in nature, as in the playing of various notes at the same time, which while they are different, they begin to harmonize in pitch and tone. It gives us the image of differing instruments of a great concert that are under the direction of a great concert master. Different instruments, different notes, but in unison. wonder, do we have any fans of classical music? Anybody like classical music? You might ever been in a situation where you got to hear an orchestra play. Enjoyed that. What, what a magical time. It's people that are very talented, they do incredibly. Anybody ever show up early and heard the orchestra warm up? That is the most chaotic, unusual, ungodly sound you will ever hear in your life. You know that the talent's there. You know that the gifting's there. You know that each of those individuals have studied for years. Yet when they're warming up, they're all playing different pieces of music. They're all playing different notes. They're tuning their instruments. They're playing different pieces of the song. But there's something so magical that happens. The moment that conductor steps up to that little podium, he grabs that magical little stick. He comes and he taps that little stick there and he calls this orchestra to attention. And he begins to direct them. What you find is as long as they're playing from the same music, 
And as long as they're following the same conductor, and as long as they're playing in the same tempo, what once was chaos comes together to form the most beautiful masterpiece you have ever seen in your life. Each of them separately were talented. Each of them separately were great at what they did. But on their own, they could never accomplish what they could whenever they got together in unity and said, I'm following the direction of the leader. It's a beautiful picture of unity. Let me speak to the crowd students here for just a second. It's okay if your gifting and talent is not exactly like the person you sit on the pew next to when you go to youth service. It's okay that God calls you to do something different than what he calls your neighbor to do. I'll be honest with you, in my few years of ministry, this has probably been one of my biggest struggles, this idea of comparison. Putting myself up against the next guy and saying, well, man, you had Josh Herring here last week. The best voice in Pentecost. And then you get the guy that goes hoarse 10 minutes into a message. And I put myself there and I'm trying to measure myself against somebody else or all these other guys. Well, I wish I could be them and all. In reality, God's saying, I called you to be you. I uniquely positioned you. I gifted you not so that you could do what they're doing. I've already got them. But I'm needing you and I need your talent and your gifting in the kingdom. It's okay if your ministry doesn't look like the next person's. Because comparison will always have one of two outcomes. Either it's going to lead you to pride. You're patting yourself on the back and saying, man, look at me. I did a great job. Or it's going to lead to insecurity where you're just, woe is me. I'll never be as good as the next guy. Neither are a part of the will of God for your life. And so you've got to learn to be satisfied that I'm one member of a big body. And if my role is not the same as their role, that's okay. Because what I know is when we come together and we begin to play in unison and we begin to fight the same fight, then the big picture is going to be far greater than what I could do on my own. This image, it's mirrored by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when he repeatedly compares the church to a body. He reaffirms to the Corinthian church that the body is not made up of one member. But it's made up of every member, and every member of the body has a role to play in the fulfillment of the body's overall purpose. He drives this point home when he says that the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The foot can't say to the head, I don't need you. It just doesn't work that way. And then he sums it all up in verses 25 and 26 when he says that there should be no schism or division in the body but that the members of the body should have the same care one for another. And when one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And when one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Let me hit the crowd again here for a second and tell you that when you've got a brother or a sister in the youth group that's struggling, it is never in your best interest to kick them while they are down. It is not in your best interest to see your brother or sister fail. Let me take it further to the big, big church, to the grown people, that we should have this figured out, but we find that we oftentimes don't. It is never in my interest to see you fail because we're a member of the same body. It's never in my interest that whenever you're limping along or you're struggling to come and kick dirt on you and say, well, well at least I've got a leg up now and I'm doing better than that guy. It's not in my interest. Because at the end of the day, if you're struggling, then the body's handicapped. And as long as the body's handicapped, we're not operating at 100%, and we can't accomplish everything that God desires for us to accomplish. So instead, the response should be that when one member is struggling, the other members come around and say, if you're in the fight, that's okay, you're not alone. If you're, you're going through it with your family right now, that's okay, you're not alone. We're a body, we're in this together. We're members 
of the same body. I, a couple, couple years ago, I was a youth pastor in, in Center, Texas, small town, town of about 5,000 people. And, uh, and, and in this church, it was a small town, but it was a great church. And we had a youth center, and I just had this custom. I, I would often go into the church early on the work day, and I would go into the youth center, and it was set up somewhat like what you guys have back here for the crowd. Set up like a little auditorium. We had this altar space, and I would often just pace in the mornings, and I'd pray, and I'd seek the face of God. I'd pray over our students, and just trying to, to find. That was my prayer time, this altar space. I'll be honest with you that over the course of my life, God speaks to me in some strange ways. You might feel that way. That the next guy, he sends an angel or they hear an audible voice or a plane writes it in the sky. But for you, God's going to talk to you in weird ways. God speaks to me in, in weird ways at times. And in this particular day, he did this. And it's the only time in my life that God has ever given me a vision. Never spoken to me before, never spoken to me since with a vision. But I was in the room that morning and I'd been studying this idea of unity and I was praying over this concept and praying over some things having to do with our youth group. And as I was praying, I stopped in my tracks and I could see this vision. Strange. Could see, and in this vision, I could see what looked like something, a landscape I had probably seen on National Geographic somewhere. Something that I would have seen in the Sahara Desert. I probably got that wrong. This probably had nothing to do with the desert. What I'm picturing, what you're picturing, probably two different things. But in my mind, I could see this, this, this landscape. And in the center, I could see this group of antelope that were grazing. Minding their own business, there's this herd of, of these antelope that are there, and they're just grazing. You can see there's young ones and there's old ones. There, there's obviously some that are sick, and then there's some that are very strong. And you could see them all grazing there. And all of a sudden, it's almost like the camera pans. And in the bottom right-hand corner of the vision, I could see this lion that was just crouched down in these reeds. You knew what was about to happen. I'd seen this before enough times to know this wasn't going to end well for somebody. Because you could tell the lion was just planning his attack. He's just trying to figure out the right opportune moment to go and find his prey. And all of a sudden, it's like this vision just kicked into high gear. This intense chase music begins to play in the background as the lion begins to run from the reeds towards those antelope as fast as he could. What I saw next was that herd of antelope that once was unified, that once was just this tight circle. I saw as they began to dart off in every direction imaginable. So one went north and one went south. One goes east and the other goes west. And they begin to dart in all these different directions with this mentality that I don't have to be the fastest as long as I'm just not the slowest. I don't have to win the race as long as there's somebody behind me that can be the prey. But sure enough, what I witnessed is that as these antelope begin to scatter... That the ones who became vulnerable were the young, it was the sick, it was the elderly, it was the weak. The ones who didn't have all the strength of the mature antelopes became easy pickings for the lion who was hungry and needed a meal. Hold on to that. Because scene change. All of a sudden I see a similar landscape. This time a, whole, a completely different group of animals. Instead of antelopes, this time I see a herd of elephants. I told you God speaks to me in strange ways. I see a herd of elements, elephants that are gathered around some watering hole or something. You can tell just much like the antelopes, they're minding their own business. They're unaware of the danger that's lurking to the side. You can see big ones and you can see strong ones. And you can see ones that are obviously elderly and ones that are obviously sick or weak. And you can see the same thing. 
And then again, I could see the lion crouched over here in the reeds, and you could tell he was planning his approach. And just like the first part of the vision, all of a sudden it kicks into high gear, and that lion jumps up and he begins to run full force towards those elephants. Except their response was entirely different. You can put the picture up. Instead of running in in seven different directions and running just to the northwest, east, and south, I watched as these elephants' response to danger was completely different. All of a sudden, I watched as these older, mature elephants begin to gather all of the young, all of the weak, all of the sick, all the vulnerable, all the elderly, and they begin to put them in the middle of a circle. And one by one, these mature elephants begin to form this barrier around those that were potentially vulnerable. They begin to stand there like a shield that was protecting the ones that could easily be picked off. And it was almost as if they were telling the enemy, if you want to get through them... You're going to have to come through me. You may want to get to them. You may want to eat them. You may want to tear them to shreds. But if you're going to do it, you better be prepared to fight with everything that you've got. Because as long as I've got a say in it, I'm going to stand guard. And I'm not willing to let one person be vulnerable. I'm not willing to let one person be easy pickings for the enemy. Hear me today. The mentality of the church needs to be that if they want to get to our children, they're going to have to come through me. If they're going to get to the young people, they're going to have to come through me. If they want to get to our new saints, you're going to have to come through me. If you want to get to the weak and the vulnerable and the ones who are susceptible to attack, you're going to have to come through me. This is the picture of the body. This is what you are a part of. It's not that you against the world. It's not you as a maverick trying to do this all on your own. You have a team. You've got a body. You've got a community that's in the fight with you. Thank God for the body.